Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour. All of Nevada is in Reno, Las Vegas. Cofield and Company. Adam Hill is here. Ari is uh, running things. Much to get to. Got some uh, interesting NFL news with some uh, some cuts. We were talking earlier in the show about the Cardinals disaster that is Kyler Murray going down probably for much of next season with a torn ACL and now the future of especially Cliff Kingsbury seems uh, pretty freaking bleak. We start off every 4 o'clock hour. Big 4, let's get to it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. You know, you send over links sometimes for for us to talk about, and I don't know if you looked through this entire link because I figured there's one thing in this story about a new series of NBA awards that was going to catch your attention. Oh, it did. I just didn't. Okay. I just didn't want to bring it up because I figured you wouldn't want to talk about it. Oh no, no, no! I actually. Oh, believe I, me, the I, Raiders media room this morning got my rant. I I think it's fascinating. So. The MVP award is now the Michael Jordan award. I'm not, I don't care, right? What I care about is something, it's so small, but it's such a big topic for you. They're going to give an award to the NBA clutch player of the year. Pretty easy to explain. Someone (laughs) comes, someone who comes through the most often in the clutch. It's the Jerry West award. And we have had so many discussions on the show about the word clutch and that Adam claims there is no such thing. There's no such thing as, as clutch, but th- there's really no such thing as defining it. Because I'll tell you this, who, who, what is the, what is the guideline? Are we going to determine like best shooting percentage in the last 30 seconds of a game that's one or two points different? Is that it? Are we get, is, I don't is, think is that's, it, I think is it a well-defined? I think it has to be open to a lot of things. Okay. Cause I would be totally into it. If it, surprisingly enough, yeah. if you told me, Hey, every year. We're going to take best shooting percentage of all players in the NBA in the final 30 seconds of a game that's within two points. And the whoever has the best shooting percentage, they win the award. But I think defense is as equally as important. Okay. So there's got to be some defensive metrics. Okay, fine. Let's uh, Steals, block shots, closest, rebounds. Closest defender to the lowest shooting percentage. Cool. I'm good with that. Uh, yeah, most deals in the last two minutes. All right, that's inclu- okay. Fine, let's let's do that. You and I are going back and forth on this. Do you think there's any chance that happens? No, none. Because my, because I because I love going at people when I say there's no such thing as clutch, and they're like, oh yeah, what about? I don't I, I don't want to do this because look, I love him too, and he's gone, and it sucks. But Kobe is the guy that people point to. Mm-hmm. Kobe was Kobe was clutch, was he? Because anybody want to guess the shooting percentage in the final 30 seconds of a game that's within two points? It's less than 30%. So, that's clutch? Honestly, I'm just asking. That's clutch. That's what we're judging now. I want a well-defined. This is a problem. And I know you weren't there, and it was awful radio, and I apologize to people for doing it. The argument that me and John had last week on the air was stupid and should never have been on radio. But I, didn't, I didn't hear about this. What oh, was it? it? I was. I said I want. I want TCU in, but I'm mad about it because I want a well-defined. What are what is the definition of who the playoff criteria is? Right. What's the playoff criteria? This is right up Adam Hill's alley. 
And John John said best season by the be- team with the best resume. Best record by team with the best resume. What? What does that mean? What is it resume first or record first? Well, it's both. Okay, because Alabama would destroy TCU. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Again, I, mean, I, I would want argue TCU it, but, I, but I'll let you go with it. I want TCU. I think the line would be fourteen. I want TCU in. So what? So what? They, they they would win. They would win the game by two scores. I don't think they would. Okay, that's fine. But the, we have no way of going except for what the line would be. Well, that's, we have we have a way to look at comparable opponents, and one had a pain in the ass of a time with Texas, and the other one destroyed Texas. So that's the way I look at it. And the quarterback was fully healthy in that situation, or no? Because I mean, they have quarterback. But, okay, that's fine. But I just all I want is a definition. All I want is okay next year because we're expanding it. But these this is how we determine who's getting in, right? And I asked for it time and time again this year. So this is going to be your new thing. Where is it? This is going to be your new thing. When the first clutch award winner. Oh, I'm, well, like, well, no, because I will not. I will not acknowledge that it's a thing. It's not a thing. It's not a real award. It's not. This is not. You are not going to get me like you get me with all these other things of dragging me into these arguments that I don't want to be in, in, but I have to be in them. I'm not. I will not. I will not debate the NBA Clutch Player of the Year award. Number three. But I will probably a lot. The Boston Red Sox have become a mess, and it seems to have coincided with John Henry getting involved in the Premier League. Now he's put Liverpool up for sale, but. Like, what's happened to the Red Sox? And could this happen to the Vegas Golden Knights? Because Bill Foley, if you watched uh, Sky Sports, which I watch all the time, here was a report today. What a day for AFC Bournemouth fans. They've been waiting patiently for a number of months now, but we've had confirmation in the last few moments that the takeover of the football club has been rubber stamped by the Premier League and AFC Bournemouth now have new owners led by Bill Foley, the Las Vegas-based businessman and philanthropist. They currently sit 14th in the Premier League, but knowing what I do know about Bill Foley in the last few months, he is a hugely ambitious man and will be having hugely ambitious plans for this football club. He is 78 years old tomorrow, so this is an early birthday present for the new Bournemouth owner. There you go. Bill Foley in the uh, Premier League. Do you know anything about, what is it, AFC Bournemouth? Bournemouth. They're they're in the Premier League. Uh, I know that if they stay, which right now they're in position to stay, they're 14th, you have to be in the top eight, you have to be 17th or better to stay in the Premier League. So... If they stay, I think he has to pay another $30 million or something like that at the end of the year because uh, because when you do stay up, you're going to make a lot more money off of it, spend a lot more money too. But uh, So, yeah, he'll have to pay more, but I think they will. The way that they're going, they'll, they'll probably stay uh, in the Premier League, which is huge. And um, they've been a little bit up and down from there. They haven't been right. in the Premier League every year. They've been down in the championship a little bit. But, um, you feel I like imagine- this is kind of a legacy purchase for his family too? I would, I would think so. I don't know how much. Uh, he, you know, what he has talked about getting an MLS team uh, here in Nevada, and he's kind of, kind of been on the outside of that. I was gonna say, is there any need for it now? Uh, for him, for, for an MLS team, for him to be involved, or for there to be a team, for him to be involved. I, no, no, he's he's been kind of he's on yeah. the outside looking at that. I mean, way. look at he's got, he's got a Premier League team now. Uh, but yeah, and it's, that, by uh, the way, that is not a as we've talked about before. The, the ground that MLS sits on is a little bit shaky. Seems very much like a pyramid scheme. It does, but I... Especially now with the way their their TV deal is getting very interesting. But I still want one. You still want a team here? Yeah. They, they went to Apple, well, didn't they? It's not your money. And didn't MLS go to Apple? Yes, 
but I think there's more pay tiers now. And as I was reading yesterday, I think the Spanish language broadcasts are all on a pay tier, which could be devastating. If people aren't willing to pay for it, yeah, that's a good portion of the audience. If if Vegas had a team, I'd pay for the, I'd pay for the rights for, right. I'd pay for the Sunday ticket, whatever whatever you want to call it. You love soccer, I do, but I I much more watch Premier League than I do MLS. Number two, you know we were talking about Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury, the coach of the Cardinals earlier. Kyler Murray's down with a torn ACL. Uh, whether he was healthy or not to start next season, I think Kingsbury's got a really short leash here. And there was an, a note that came out last night about challenges. And you're like, I got some questions about this guy as a coach. And wait, what? He never challenges? Ever? <laughs> what was the deal on this? He hadn't challenged all season. Last night was his first challenge of the year. And he lost. Uh, but it was his first one of the year. And he has not won a challenge since 2019. That's craziness. What is going on? Do they just have great refs in their games? There's no, there's no need? No need to challenge a call anywhere? He's saving them. I think if you don't challenge for two years, then you then you get like 12 extra challenges. When it comes down to challenges, who's where does the box stop? Is it the head coach or is it actually a staff thing? Well, you usually have somebody in the booth that's alerting you. Right. But you're the one who hey, hires well, the staff. Sure. So, but everyone's got to be on board. Like there's, there's got to be challenges. Well, at some point. Throughout the season, there's bad calls. At some point, it's clear that you just don't like challenge <laughs> for some or reason you, or your team's just not in tune with what the hell's going on yeah or you value timeouts i mean that, there is a possibility that, that would you, be fascinating if he you, came out if he fired back on this and he's like timeouts are more important yeah i mean that's possible. Do we even do what do we even know you should know this we need the numbers on challenges successful challenges who's the best at it who's the worst at it oh there's no yeah, and, and, you, and measuring the value of a timeout versus if you're only winning a small percentage of challenges oh every coach's uh pro football reference page uh, has All their right. has their challenges, and it not only it not only details. I, by the way, I'm scrolling through this all the time. Uh, it not only details how many times they challenge, what the record is in challenges, but each play, what the play was, and what the ruling was. So you can find all these all this stuff very easily. Uh, but yeah, Kingsbury, that's rough. Now, I, I can't imagine it's that they're just having many bad calls. Uh, maybe they're in a situations where they're out of time because they actually do. I made the joke about valuing timeouts, but. They actually waste a lot of timeouts watching Arizona play, which is also not a good thing. So maybe they've been in positions where they had it, they had things to challenge, but didn't even have timeouts to do it. Um, it's that that's a that's a brutal indictment. Yes, on a coach to have not you, not won a challenge in 2019. You mentioned something earlier. So Kingsbury's in his fourth year right now. He is 28, 33, and one. People have had it out for him from the very beginning because they're like, "Hey, this guy wasn't even a winning college coach." Too pretty. Uh, yeah. You mentioned something earlier about fist bumps between the owner Bidwell and like Kime. It. Are these guys all just like bros? Like I don't know if they're drinking buddies, uh, but you know, like are they all just too close? And that's why Kingsbury. Well, you you suggested that's why Kime's around. Is that why Kingsbury's been given such a long leash? Like, hey, I just like the guy. Well, they did make the playoffs last year. Okay, well, it's not it's not like they've been a complete disaster every single <laughs> year. They got extensions because they made the playoffs, and, and uh, I I think there was. You know, there were some signs down the stretch that things were falling apart, but they weren't in the playoffs and they lost a game at home uh, when they got there. But uh, yeah, it's not like they've been a total disaster. They made it. They were in there. Number one. Boy, our guy, uh, Josh Dubow, puts up some pretty amazing numbers, and I, I don't know that these are impossible to find. But when people have seen this the last couple of days, you're like, whoa, what is going on? Raiders have had OC after OC. 
coaching staff after coaching staff, you know, shuffling players in and out of the organization. And Josh from the AP put out numbers about red zone TD percentage for the Raiders and where it ranks the last five seasons. They've never been better than 23rd in the league at scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Every year, 23, 23, 25, 27, 28. There's been a lot of turnover. Is there a constant? There's one. I mean, how damning is this for Derek Carr? I, I mean, I think it is. I, I do. I will say. Uh, or is that, the, is that the crotch you lean on? Like, turnover, 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 turnover. Like, it's different coaches, different staffs, OCs. I think I think you could say both. I think you could I think you can easily if you're on the you know if you're on team car you would point that out and say you know learning different systems all the time. There's also been look I've had many criticisms of both the old coaching staff and the current coaching staff of far too often kicking field goals. Like wh- why why? Which is that's also a good debate though because he is so good. Carlson? Carlson is so good. Well, this is before Carlson was there, though. Yeah, good point. But, yeah, I mean, I think they settle for way too many field goals out of principle. I think they kick too, too often, fourth and one, fourth and two, in the red zone and out of the red zone. So that's part of it. But I think Derek Carr, too. And I think it's not even a critique to just say Derek Carr is very, very careful with the ball in the red zone. And, you know, obviously we saw the interception last week when he got hit by his own lineman. But like, he is, I think, far too careful in those situations when you don't take risks especially in the red zone, it's going to be tough for to score touchdowns. Big 4-4 four four is presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. You can call them from anywhere in the state of Nevada, 766-1400. we got to answer a question you wanted to pose yesterday about Jerry Tillery. Miles Simmons, football expert, in next. Purdy going to drop back to pass. Under pressure, going to step up. Try to run for it and go to the end zone standing. Touchdown! San Francisco! Cofield and Company NFL Insider Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk joins us now. Still incredibly weird hearing Greg Papa with the San Francisco former Raiders voice. Adam Hill, Cofield. You know, we never got to one of your questions yesterday about Jerry Tillery and what the Raiders should do with Jerry Tillery. I think they've made their decision for now. Miles Simmons is in. Miles, would you have released Jerry Tillery after he? Made that bonehead play that helped Baker Mayfield post a comeback? No, but I, I would have made him and the rest of the defensive players and the defensive coaching staff walk home. <laughs> I said that to Sam Farmer before that final drive at the, you know, it starts at the they got at the two, right? They gotta go ninety-eight yards, no timeouts, one forty-five on the clock. You you let Baker Mayfield, forty-eight hour Baker Mayfield on the Los Angeles Rams make that drive against dudes who probably wouldn't make a lot of 53 man rosters i'm talking about the the wide receivers ben skoranek would not be a wide receiver on many teams van jefferson yeah he was a second round pick but he's not been that great in his seasons there these are the dudes that he was what tutu atwell couldn't even see the field for the freaking rams behind skoranek and jefferson for most of the year and that's who you let do that to wow wow yikes i mean they're all those things are true, and the the drive was just is brutal. But I mean, that play by Tillery when the clock is running, there's no timeout to second and nineteen. How do you even? How do you let that happen? I don't, I still don't understand what he was thinking. <laughs> uh, that he would put more time off the clock if the ball rolled away. I mean, but every, somebody's going to see that. I, you know, it's. <laughs> 
you can't that's not incon an inconspicuous thing to do especially when after you when you do it after a sack i mean that basically could have almost ended the game right there right second and 19 with the clock rolling guys moving down the field there you know your receivers are trying to run down the field you're gonna have to run a play that baker mayfield doesn't know not having a timeout or you're just gonna go okay go deep and it's what well, i mean what are you gonna do you basically can't spike it at that point either so I mean, that was a play that absolutely lost them the game. So, yeah. So, obviously, from our perspective, being there, covering the game, being in the locker room, which was the, I said, it's one of the saddest places I've ever been uh, in that locker room. I, I, after the I can game. imagine. I was at the other, I was at the opposite end of the building. Yeah. So I was at the Rams, which but, is pretty euphoric. Yeah, I, I assume. And But my question is, like, obviously, for us, from this side, we're covering the dejection and the you know, for all intents and purposes, end of the season and everything on that side. From a national perspective, as you are a big, big time national star now, Miles. Okay. From a national perspective, was that a happy Ram story or a sad Raider story? Oh, it was more of a happy Ram story than it was a sad Raider story. The sad Raider story basically already happened with <laughs> Jeff Saturday's Colts. Sure. Right. So that means that this is not out of the realm of possibility when you're talking about a quarterback who had just gotten to Los Angeles less than 48 hours before kickoff, you know, and playing his first game. Didn't know the plays, didn't know how to go up and spike it with the proper cadence. Barely had run any plays in practice because you don't really get a practice um, for a real Thursday game. I mean, it, it's. It is embarrassing, absolutely, for the Las Vegas Raiders to lose in that way to that quarterback in that fashion. Who That quarterback, by the way, was basically the worst starting quarterback in the NFL this season. So, I mean, but because it's Baker Mayfield and because he was a first-round pick and because everybody knows who he is and because the Rams are the defending champions, that is more of the story coming out of the game than, good Lord, the Raiders just peed down their leg again. So stop turning the screws, Miles. We, we Man, get it. Miles, it's... he's very, he's very edgy. <laughs> I, I, he's very I gotta edgy be honest lately. With you. I like. You it. know, I, I, I was at two games at SoFi <laughs> over the weekend. I couldn't sleep last night. I woke up at like two thirty in the morning for our Monday show. So like, I'm, I'm running on a little bit of no, sleep. Good. Here the last this is good. Your... So this is just it's me unfultured no, as, as, as much as it is. Cofield and Company right here. Hey, <laughs> come on, you're, you're, you're. I mean, you've always been a member of the company, but yeah, because I noticed well, the other day, I'm like, what sort of filth is being being spewed on these uh, PFT live shows. We're not even allowed to say this on the air. I'm just, I don't know. I see a quote, Miles, quote, Jeff Bezos wipes his rear end. I'm going to say rear end with $8 billion. Where did that, what was that conversation? <laughs> well, it was because for some reason, Florio decided to talk about uh, the commanders being sold for potentially something. And then we were talking about the Houston Texans and he says, Bezos should buy the Texans because he's from Houston. And you know, they, he'd go buy him for $8 billion and walk away. And I'm like, well, wh what do you mean 8 billion? You know, where, where's that number coming from? You mean that that would be something that, you know, an NFL team fetches now? And he's like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. And that's when I said, well, Jeff Bezos wipes his butt with that much money. So I mm. guess it wouldn't make that much Phil, of a difference. Pot, potty mouth. We, uh, we, we had a conversation <laughs> earlier, Miles. Miles, of course, from Pro Football Talk. Uh, we had a conversation earlier about uh, the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. And I want to get to that in a second with Cliff Kingsbury and his future. And I throw in Sean Payton. Adam started naming like 12 teams that Payton could join. Do you think Sean Payton would ever choose you know, a number one pick quarterback and Cal McNair and go to the Texans. 
boy, I don't think so. The way things have gone for that that team and that ownership group, unless Cal McDaniel, you explicitly get in your contract, Cal McNair will not never, be in the building never and talks to will <laughs> only show up on Sundays and, you know, in if you know we get a trophy and that's that'll be it and otherwise we'll leave me alone i mean i don't i don't know that that's a stable enough organization that sean payton who will have his choice of jobs would go to i, I don't think i would do that so interesting game coming up this weekend at allegiant stadium and i'm i'm curious your take because i feel like this is still a massive story belichick versus mcdaniels and what yeah. all entails with that but if the game does get flexed out like they're not putting it in prime time uh, obviously, the record has a lot to do with that, but I thought the story would carry it. Is this still a massive story that they are playing each other? Not nationally because the Raiders aren't very good and because I don't think anybody really believes in the Patriots. But I think on a more micro level and for people who are fans of football, yeah, th this is a really interesting game because I'm not really sure who has the advantage in this matchup, right? I mean, you're talking about two coaching staffs that really, really, really know each other very, very well. Defensively, I mean, you can say that uh, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, who's woken up over the last couple weeks, I mean, you can put them right up against um, Uchi and uh, uh, Matthew Judon and the way they're playing on the other side. And you're like, wow, I mean, th that's those are two really good pass rushing duos, right? And, and then on the other side of it, though, offensively, I, you would usually take Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, and we'll see what happens with uh, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, those guys possibly coming back over anything that the Patriots are putting out there, especially when the quarterback of the Patriots is dropping F-bombs and basically <laughs> cussing out his coach on the field in front of everybody. I think that that's still very strange. So... <laughs> If anybody should understand how to attack Mac Jones, it is Josh McDaniels. He can pass that information along to Patrick Graham, right? That's what he does as the head coach. So, but by that same token, you know, who knows Josh McDaniels and the way he would try to attack an offense better than Bill Belichick? To me, it, it makes it a very, very fascinating chess match. And it, it's a game that I'm definitely keeping an eye on this on Sunday afternoon. And pretty clearly the Patriots, since they took over the Raiders facility in the preseason, have cameras <laughs> everywhere. So of course. Uh, they should know of what's course. going on. Uh, only got, only have about a minute left, but what what on earth is happening with Marcus Mariota? Did he just leave? It, it kind of seems that way based on what uh, um, Arthur Smith said yesterday. It was kind of like, well, I wasn't necessarily prepared for him to just up and, you know, go deal with this chronic knee injury. But, uh, okay, that's kind of what happened there. It, it's one of those stories that if the Falcons were a more relevant franchise, then maybe we'd be talking a little bit more about it. But frankly, I had a lot of other things to do today, and I didn't delve <laughs> as much into that as I could have because the Falcons aren't very relevant. So I'll probably read a little bit more about it tonight, <laughs> and next week we could talk about it. Find out where Marcus Periota is. This is important. He Apparently, he wanted to be with this baby. He has a newborn baby, and he wanted to be with his wife and kid. And frankly, that sounds mentally healthy to me, but it does kind of let your team down a little bit. I'll ask this to Miles because I know Adam was at one of the games, but more impressive contingent of, we'll say, road fans the last week or so at SoFi. <laughs> Dolphins or Raiders? Raiders, uh, because that it was like 10% Ram fans in yeah. that stadium. But the Dolphin, is, Dolphin mean, fans were pretty – they showed up, right? They did. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it was a neutral site game for the Chargers for wow. sure. It probably a little bit more Dolphins uh, heavy. I think the Dolphins fan base is one of the more uh, – 
annoying ones. I get annoyed. Well, no, I get no, I get annoyed by it because I went to Qualcomm for a Chargers Dolphins game, and I was like, "What is with all the Dolphin fans?" And a lot of it's kind of people. You're a young guy, but it's a lot of people in my era who yeah. jumped on the Dolphins when Marino was right. the quarterback. Now I'll get. I'll give this to them. They've stuck with it. So they the have. Dolphins have not been a proud franchise or good franchise for a long time. But uh, we know the roots of it. We're basically quitting on their local area team and rooting for Dan Marino <laughs> instead. So there you go. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not like the Chargers were really a Southern California team. They are just San Diego's team. When yeah. the Rams played the Dolphins in 16, they took over the Coliseum too. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. And it was raining too. That was Jared Goff's first start. It was an ugly day. Nice. Okay. That's all I got for you. Actually, no, I have one more. I have one more because we, we've got okay. like 40 seconds left. Um, I've been asking That's everyone. That's the longest minute I've I know, ever heard I know, I know. Well, we we, uh, we always warn people because then they give a like a four-minute answer. Sometimes we go right into a break. So just be aware. Now it's actually 30 seconds. Um, okay. Jets, Jets and Lions. Lions are actually a pick in this one. What do you think? Hmm. Um... I think the Jets are maybe a little bit more desperate. They need a win, and if Mike White can play, I think that they'll win that game. Okay. I just thought of that because you mentioned Jared Goff, and I'm like, I'm not betting Jared Goff in a pick situation. It's not going to yeah. happen. How can he play? He, bent, he folded in half. Uh, if I, Hey, man, that dude's a tough son of a gun, you know? <laughs> he is. Miles, you're a wonderful human being. We appreciate it so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, what a nice thing to say. Well, you know, every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> Maybe I nail it. Maybe I nail it. Every once in a while. All right, there he is, Miles Simmons, at Miles A. Simmons, up on Twitter. It's the Battleborn Sports Hour, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. I don't care what your mama says. Christmas time is near. I don't care what your daddy says. Christmas time is dear. All I know is the Santa sleigh is making its way to the USA. Rolling on, just past the halfway point of Cofield and company. Uh, news in about uh, former Wolfpack quarterback Carson Strong. With Kyler Murray down with the torn ACL, Strong will sign with the Cardinals. That's cool. He needs to get healthy because he was dragging around that leg last year. Remember, uh, there were people when Carson Strong was healthy and they were looking at him as an NFL prospect who had Carson Strong considerably ahead in the rankings of Brock Purdy. Yeah. So his road has been a little bit different because he just was not healthy to close out his Nevada career. So big week for both him and Desmond Ritter, who's now starting. Uh, yeah, you kind of threw that in there about Mariota. It's a developing story where Marcus Mariota, the former Raiders backup, just walked on the Falcons. Well, he has an injury. Right. Just to go take care of the knee. But I guess when but Art Smith <laughs> is like, what? Wait, yeah, what, okay, what happened? I guess he's going to get his knee taken care of. We didn't yeah. really know. Uh, it was a bye week, so they haven't really been back yet. They just got back. I think it's probably just more delayed getting back to what, you know, who knows what's going on there. Uh, but I was going to mention uh, at the Combine this year, Desmond Ritter and Carson Strong were very close. Okay. I believe they played some golf together, a lot of other things. They were very uh, uh, very much bonding. I think they might have trained for the Combine together. Was that and, the uh, – Was that the? didn't you spy on someone's lunch? didn't spy on their lunch. We were seated at the table behind them. Hmm. Okay. 
It was Ritter and Strong? Yeah, they were together. Okay. I was kidding. I knew you weren't spying. They got seated near you, and that's fine. It was tough. There was, there was really no tables available in the restaurant, so some other people trickled in, and we were offering them our seats. We had Ooh. two extra seats at our table. and Oh, that's nice. Many turned it down. I went to a ramen place the other night that had a long table, okay. and you just share it with a bunch of people. I so, hate that. I don't mind it. Uh, I minded the food, though. It wasn't good. And I don't. it's pretty hard to score up ramen, but it was just so-so. But I'd like to think. The, I, will not, I will not name the place. Okay. But you're going to. No. I was going to say, that. we had the two seats at our table, and one of the two people that we offered, we said, hey, two people were together. Like, hey, we have two seats. And they looked around and said, ah, we'll figure it out. It was. Uh, no. It was uh, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. Oh, okay. Wow. I think now they would say yes, but they had just taken the, right. they had just taken the job right. at that point. Right. You watched a game last night, right? Which game? There no. was like 30 yeah. seconds. Come on, Monday Night Football. Of course. You saw what Aguilar had to do? I did. That was kind of interesting. I, I thought, yeah, I thought it was uh, the most maybe important thing that happened in the game. You went through the whole concussion, I don't know, what do you call? Like, like your unofficial tour of concussion protocol? Yeah, protocol. With the Raiders to do a story? Yeah, uh, went through, uh, toured a lot of their medical facilities, and one of the big things was uh, the process of concussion checks. And, of course, me being incredibly cynical, uh, one of the questions that I asked, because they said uh, all the different people that can initiate a concussion check. So, obviously, there are spotters up in, the, uh, up in the booth. We saw exactly their vantage point. We saw all the angles they have, which is incredible. We've got, like, 30 cameras on every single play. Yeah. Uh, so, we saw all that. We went through all that process. And then they said, uh, also, players that are on the field are the first line of defense, they can notify. Yeah, if you see, the something, game. see something, say something. Yeah, they can stop the game and say, hey, look, this guy's got to get checked out. That's what happened last night. Aguilar checked it out. Of course, me being so cynical, I asked the spotters, what's to stop a backup from initiating protocol on a starter to get in the game? <laughs> okay. Just stealing playing time. <laughs> they said nothing. Right. But they said we have. Hey, he's con- we've- he's concussed. <laughs> yeah. Get him off the field. That's what I said. And they said, well, You're nothing, but if you do that, I think your team would probably have a problem with it if there was nothing there. <laughs> like, Aguilar was the one who was paying attention. But he did, and it was pretty clear. There was a, there was some real concern there. There was a lot of wobbling. Coming up, let's get into the Mountain West Conference on the basketball front, the men's basketball front. and New Mexico Lobos continue to roll. We'll bounce around the conference and talk about the Lobos with Jeff Grammer from the Albuquerque Journal. Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. You know, most of the time when people come to town, right, and they reach out to uh, Adam or myself, at least myself, I'm like, oh, God, what do I have to do? I got to entertain. Like, I don't know where I don't know where to go. I don't have any connections. You know, I'm just generally a jerk. Uh, this is the one guy, though. He comes to town all the time. And did he reach out to you? No. And then we hear, like, he just hung out at his hotel and then had fast food. And, like, Jeff Grimer's on the horn, Albuquerque Journal. You were in Vegas. Nothing? You don't reach out to us at all? Break bread? Well, advice on something? What's going on? I'm a jerk. I mean, well, what can so, I say? I'm a so, jerk. So, so um, I. I was, this, this was a less than 24-hour visit. Oh, like, okay. I, I got there last night about three hours before the game I was uh, covering, and I left this morning. So kind of a short-notice, last-minute kind of game that was, scheduled late and then uh um because of that i didn't even get there early or anything like that so i kind of an excuse this time normally i'm just a jerk let's you're not a jerk but let's let's talk basketball (laughs) and 
let's put off the crime blotter stuff for now. I know this is like most of your job these days, but let's talk basketball. Um, well, looky here, right? How many times have we talked over the years and we've talked about, hey, remember the days when New Mexico and UNLV were kind of right there with San Diego State and it was really good for the conference? Things are developing pretty nicely. First with New Mexico, this is a, a hell of a start. And I thought last night's win was a really important win. So in a lot of ways, uh, I'll say this about last night's win. They beat San Francisco uh, in the uh, Jack Jones Hoop Fest. Uh, it wasn't a game that was scheduled until 10 days prior. And, um, again, we'll, we'll talk about it later. But the, the, the Lobos had a couple games open up in their schedule that were, were decent games, probably top 100-level type games that got, got canceled when they canceled the rivalry series with New Mexico State. So they were looking for an opponent that might be at least in the quad two-ish range. Um, and, and the fact that we're, we're talking, hey, let's add an opponent that might be a quad two win for a Lobo team that hasn't been to the postseason in nine years, that won, that finished, you know, Ken Palm 294 two years ago, fired a coach, won 13 games last year. Um, they, they weren't quite expecting the turnaround, the rebuild, maybe to be this quick. So they were pretty, uh, pretty giddy just that they were even in a, a position where they're like, hey, let's find a good game because it might help a postseason resume. And postseason resumes, fans talk about them every year, but like, there, there hasn't been a realistic talk of postseason resume meaning anything for the, for the Lobo basketball program in, in nine years, really. And um, so, so that in and of itself kind of has some buzz going around it. Just the fact that they're, I guess, in a position to be in position kind of thing. The old friend for is saying they're, they're playing good. And, and their last night's game was probably the worst they played all season. In fact, I, I will say it was the, the worst they played all season and could have lost that game and didn't. So in some ways, you know, you can scoreboard check and, and see that Utah State blew the doors off of uh, San Francisco couple weeks ago and UNM struggled and had to come from behind to beat them or you could scoreboard check and see that they went to San or uh, St. Mary's and ended a 23 game home winning streak for St. Mary's in California a couple weeks ago and and then just this past week San Diego State lost to St. Mary's so there's getting the trouble of, of the scoreboard watching by doing that a little bit I think in a lot of ways despite them playing as bad as they've played all season last night's win might have been one of the biggest they have if this actually becomes a postseason team, because you know they're ten and zero now, heading into a weekend game with Rick Pitino coming to town, so <laughs> the national attention will will be coming to Albuquerque, and they do still have that undefeated record. So it's uh, it's been fun to cover, and, and and as you guys certainly have kind of lived through as well, like it's been a while since it's been genuine quality basketball. You know, there've been spurts where you can see a, a glimmer of hope that they might be turning the corner or or something like that but like this has been good basketball too it's not just because the schedule's been weak and by and large it has been but it's not just that like it's actually good basketball too what is the scene going to be like for that game well so <laughs> they haven't had a sellout since 2015 in the pit and that was hugh greenwood's senior night people <laughs> may remember that name and he was a real popular guy in the program Senior night, March of 2015, was the last time they sold out the pit. So it's been a while, and they finally had one lined up a few weeks ago um, before a game got canceled because of a shooting on campus. And this game, I don't know, will get to a sellout, but it, it might. Um, it, it'll get packed. I, it, it's an interesting storyline, and they are 10-0, and 0, and there is buzz around the Lobo program again. So I do think that it's going to be a really uh, well-attended game. The numbers are going to be good. 
but it's not quite like a rivalry when you're when you're playing good and the other team has a new coach and this and that. Um, it's Rick Pitino coming to town. Good storyline, but it doesn't exactly get the uh, the the hatred juices, which sometimes fuel ticket sales a little bit. So I don't know that it'll be a sellout, but uh, you know, thirteen, fourteen. Well, I'd say probably fourteen thousand is where I'm going to guess, and the the arena holds fifteen four eleven. So I think they'll get fourteen, and uh, that'll be a pretty pretty good game again for a program that hasn't been to the postseason in nearly a decade. Of local interest for people here, what do you think of San Francisco? Well, uh, I think they're a really quality team. They they certainly are can be one dimensional when they rely too much on the three point shooting, and they were going into this game one of, uh, I think, only seven teams in the country, maybe eight teams in the country that had more than 50% of their shots were three-pointers. So so they can rely on that three-ball quite a bit. Didn't do it as much last night, but uh, frankly, what, what shocked me was looking at their stats going into last night's game, I knew they had two guys on the roster that were seven foot two. They hadn't played a ton of minutes. They hadn't been hugely influential, um, but maybe... Maybe that's just me doing some scoreboard watching and some stat sheet watching as opposed to watching film because their two big men really took out the Lobos big men. The Lobos this year, a lot of their success has been because they have guards that can attack the rim and some big men that can finish at the rim. So everything's been two-pointers at the rim, and they shoot very few three-pointers. So when they're, when these two seven-foot-two big men for San Francisco, that they just kept subbing in and out for each other, um, when those two guys really took away any any offense that the Lobos had at the rim or in the paint, I, I think the Lobos had to figure out a way to win because they're the first team, the first opponent for the Lobos that have been able to take away the, the Lobos' offense at the rim all season so far. And, and other teams have certainly tried, and, and thought they haven't played some teams with some big men, but uh, this was the first offense or the first op- opponent, rather, uh, that the, the big men, the two seven-foot-two guys that, that San Francisco has, really took away the Lobo offense inside. Jeff Grammer's with us, Albuquerque Journal, talking Mountain West Conference basketball. New Mexico was just in Vegas to take on San Francisco. San Fran will play the running Rebels on Saturday. You know, when you talk about the big drought for New Mexico, I was thinking for a second, I'm like, wait, it's been that long since Steve Alford's been around? Yeah, it's been that long. Um, This hour of our show is actually carried in Reno. Alford's got that program off to a pretty good start, and they've got some young dudes, and he had a lot of recovering to do after last year, losing so many players. Well, and yeah, I saw two of them play for Arizona State last night in the Michelob Ultra Arena there. Um, two starters for them, Desmond Cambridge and Warren Washington. They're doing great. Grant Sherfield's doing just fine at Oklahoma. So there was no reason to think Nevada was going to be this good going into this season. And it's worth noting that, like, you know, we always talk about is the Mountain West the multi-bid league and, and this and that. And, and last year they get four teams, and, well, they're better this year statistically top to bottom in, in the Ken Palms and in, in all the computer rankings. I don't know who the top-level teams are that are going to get in right now. Um, obviously, UNLV, Utah State, and, and New Mexico sure hope they, they're in the conversation. But um, the reason that the, the Mountain West overall is doing better is because like Nevada was picked preseason nine, and they're doing pretty good. Utah State preseason eight, and they're undefeated. UNLV preseason six, and New Mexico preseason five, are both undefeated and, and climbing all the computer rankings and net rankings and all that. Those weren't even the top four teams. that, And we're talking about four of them that are having, you know, seasons that I, I think in Ken Palm, all four of those teams have had 30, 40, or 50-point jumps already in, in the computer rankings. So 
that's why this league overall is going to be really interesting this year. I think there, you know, people can complain that they might all cannibalize each other a little bit. Okay. You know, if they're cannibalizing each other in quad one and quad two level games, that still doesn't actually keep you out of the NCAA tournament usually. That's what all the, the power six conferences in college basketball, that's what they get to benefit from every year is like you can be in the Big 12 and lose eight, nine league games and still get in the NCAA tournament sometimes because the losses don't hurt you. And I think that's the best news for the Mountain West this year is the losses aren't going to be horrible losses this year, and there are some quality wins available. Who's been the uh, biggest impact of the uh, the two bigs that New Mexico brought in? Who, who's uh, Are they about the same? I mean, they're different body types, obviously. Yeah, and well, they'll, so Morrissey Daisy, the, the Wichita State transfer, he's he's the guy that until yesterday I think led the uh, I think Stephen Ashworth for Utah State does now, but he led the league in scoring. Um, been, he's been a surprise. He was shooting going into yesterday's game. He was shooting sixty four percent, averaging over nineteen points a game, and he's he's hitting free throws. He, he came in, I think, a, a career sixty two percent free throw shooter. He had one game earlier this year where he had 13 of 13 at the free throw line and uh, he's shooting in the 70s right now and getting fouled a ton. His foul rate was, again, going into yesterday's game. He didn't get fouled a ton yesterday, but uh, going into yesterday, he was ranked 7th in fouls per 40 minutes uh, drawn. So he, he keeps drawing fouls. He's hitting his free throws. He's scoring at the rim. He's been um, the probably the, the single biggest reason, if you're just looking at like one improvement from the offseason, why the Lobos are doing so good. But Josiah Alex, the other big man, 6'8", he's versatile, man. Like He, he runs the floor well. He's the guy that if Morrissey Daisy gets in foul trouble or if maybe the three isn't doing so good, like whatever hole you need to plug when you see what the other team's doing, he's the guy that counters it really well for the Lobos, and he's the guy that kind of Richard Pitino can plug into whatever scenario comes up during a game. He's the guy that kind of fills that spot, and he's been really good at it. Jeff, last one, and we only have like 90 seconds left. We should have carved out some more time for this, but what is the next step in this tragic incident with New Mexico with a student dying in a shootout with a New Mexico State basketball player? What, what's the next step Like, what in the investigation? Are we going to find out more about New Mexico State and some sort of cover-up? What are you looking for next? So I think it's probably best to tell people that like that the Aggie basketball player involved shouldn't have had a gun on the trip. He was going to get in trouble for that, maybe even kicked out of school. He didn't really commit a crime. He, he legally owned that gun. He defends himself at 3 a.m. He shouldn't have been out of the team hotel um, trying to hook up with the girl, but defends himself and, and is acting in self-defense, and New Mexico State's in trouble for everything they did after that. Uh, some teammates of his he calls, and uh, they come take the gun. And those teammates all served a one-game suspension, and that was it. At this point, what the district attorney is looking at and state police are investigating is what did the coaches know and when? Because there was a, there was some trouble getting the evidence gathered afterwards. The bus left before police wanted to, but it's worth pointing out. Police never told them, hey, stay here till we talk to everybody. So the bus went ahead and left, but uh, hasn't exactly been overly cooperative in state police's mind. But, uh, you know, so far I don't know that any crimes have necessarily been committed, but that's what the district attorney is looking into right now. Can I just uh, take this time to say follow the Albuquerque Journal, follow Jeff and his colleagues. They've been doing an unbelievable job on this. I've been obsessed with the story, uh, so they've been doing a great job down there. So thank, crazy thanks for the story. coverage. I appreciate you saying that, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not a joking matter, but we talked about it earlier that uh, this beat has been really interesting for you over the last five or six years. You've had to cover a lot of stories in Albuquerque that, you know, sports journalists are not used to covering. I uh, I did do crime at one point earlier in my career, and I never thought it would. Uh, I thought I was getting out of crime reporting, but uh, apparently, it served just as the uh, you know the resume builder to take this job. I guess. 
Jeff, we appreciate it. And, uh, hey, UNLV is actually on the road right at the beginning of the year. So I'll see you in just a couple of weeks. Appreciate it, guys. See you guys. There he is, Jeff Grimer, Albuquerque Journal. You've had to cover a little crime. The, sure. the crossover happens, but sure. this is a story. We'll continue with this on the other side if you don't know about it. It's a crazy story, and the video that is out of the shooting, man, things can develop really quickly, and I'm sure you know the kid from New Mexico State never thought that that was going to be the outcome, but it's a really terrible, terrible story.